As you've already heard today, I begin a five-point series, five-week series on the issue of wisdom. I'm not sure that is the wisest thing I could do, but uh, I have chosen to do this for three reasons. Today especially, because today we are celebrating the graduation of our high school students or all of those who might be graduating from their particular institutions. But secondly, because as I look across the landscape of our world, our culture, especially our campaign trail, wisdom seems to be about as scarce as civility and modesty. And third, because I just read an article a couple of weeks ago in The Atlantic titled The Wisdom Deficit in Our Schools, written by Michael Godsey, who is an English teacher in the public school system. He makes the point that the emphasis on education standards and standardized testing emphasizing the technical skills of reading over an appreciation of the good literature and the deeper values found there, is draining our well of civic and corporate wisdom. The results are not hard to see. Look around. Godsey wrote the article because he has been haunted by the word wisdom wondering where it is taught anymore, if not in the school system, maybe in houses of worship. Only, he sees, that our children, our kids, are not really going to houses of worship much anymore, mainly because he guesses that what they see from the outside looking in is not so much a house of wisdom. How about turning to our cultural heroes? Hollywood, sports figures. Some wisdom found from time to time there, Steph Curry, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, others. But generally, is there a place now to go where we can dip our ladle into the well of wisdom and draw from it something to sip upon. It seems to me from president to school board, our candidates' wisdom is hard to find. It's more like folly to me. But So I ask the, the question, where is it and where can we go to get it anymore. My hope is that we can come to a community of faith like Riverside where we nurture and instill and grow and learn the wisdom of the text, the biblical text, as well as the wisdom from each other as we are being mentored by those who might already have some. Our text this morning comes, strangely enough, on Trinity Sunday from Proverbs 8, and I'm going to read selected text. You're welcome to follow along, and I will list those texts for you. The first is the beginning from the first verse of chapter of of Proverbs 8. As we hear this, it should blow our socks off. 
Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I cry, and my cry is to all that live. O simple ones, learn prudence, acquire intelligence, you who lack it. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. In the tenth verse, take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire, nothing can compare with her. And in the 22nd verse, The Lord created me, wisdom, at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs, bounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. When he had not yet made earth and fields or the world's first bits of soil. When he established the heavens, I was already there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made him when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him like a master worker, and I was daily his delight. Your text says rejoicing, but the actual Hebrew translation is playing. I was daily his delight, playing before him always in his inhabited world while delighting in the human race. This is the word of the Lord. Trinity, Sunday, holy, 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 Lord God, almighty, the triune presence of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit after Pentecost last week. We gather each year to celebrate this day, and it may seem like I'm going down a rabbit hole on Trinity Sunday to preach about Proverbs and wisdom, but actually, at least I hope, it plays into the mysterious understanding of God in three persons. God being God, delighting, delighting in community and relationship, apparently wanted someone to play with or better to dance with. So at the risk of sounding too Aryan and you theologians would know what I mean. God begot Jesus, Logos, male, and God begot daughter wisdom, in Greek, Sophia, female. And I want to make the case that I think that this wisdom persona morphed into who we call now the Holy Spirit. 
the really eye-opening part of this passage, I think, opens up the possibility that this Holy Spirit presence starts here and it comes with the same name as wisdom. Jesus is the divine word, logos, again masculine as in John. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Parallels Sophia, the divine feminine presence of the persona that was also in the beginning with God. In Latin, it's sapient, feminine. In Hebrew, it's shatma, feminine. Sophia, by the way, is the root of the word philosophy, lover of wisdom. And this morning's text, I hope, holds out for us the possibility and the key to the understanding of who God is in the Trinity and who we are in relationship to God and each other. Before creation, the text claims, before the Big Bang even, God begot or brought forth Lady Wisdom who danced and played beside God so that God was delighted. And they delighted each other. And then when humanity was created, wisdom delighted in humanity in the same way that God delighted in wisdom. We make the same case for Christ, who, according to John, as I said, was the divine logos, pre-existing before all existence. There are these two, masculine and feminine, at play in the presence of God. I can't, I can't help but get the image of a square dance, the, the three of them, God, Son, and Wisdom slash Holy Spirit, arm in arm, dancing through every particle, proton, quark, or Higgs boson in the physical world, just as they danced before even the physical world was born, and not just the physical, but the spiritual too. Which is to say that there is no place where this dance is not present. In the sea, in the heavens, in the heart, in the head, on the corner of mundane and mystery, or in the lost and most arid regions of the desert. As the psalmist sings, the heavens are proclaiming the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Everything, everything, every place, every person, everything is permeated with the divine presence of this holy, holy, holy relationship of splendor and delight with each of the divine personas dancing and playing and rejoicing and inviting us into the same dance of delight with them. Yahweh God, Logos Christ, Sophia Wisdom, arms outstretched, my image, the three persons of God and the fourth us in a holy square dance, dancing through life together. This is amazing. The text says that wisdom is not only 
at play with God, but also universally available to everyone. From Pope Francis to the Dalai Lama, from the force to the Tao, regardless of creed or nationality, age or gender, wisdom calls forth from every street corner, across every road and byway, in every instance or entrance and portal, the call for all, it says, who lives. If you read the seventh chapter of this Proverbs uh, narrative, you'll see that the seventh chapter is about another call from the corners and the byways and the portals. It is the call, the folly, the foolish call of the harlot that promises intimacy but gives brokenness. Not joy, but death. Not delight and intimacy, but abuse and pornography. And wherever there is truth and beauty, we claim wisdom is, because wisdom is even there with the harlot. Eyes to focus and to see is what we need. In the Bible, there are whole books that are labeled as wisdom literature, The book of Job, for one, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of uh, Songs. But today's passage doesn't deal with the micro of that as much as the macro understanding. The case that it makes is that wisdom is this residue of the dance of the lady wisdom with God and all creation It is a witness, but only in a limited way, of the universal truth of wisdom's presence. Now, I know I am speaking way over our head, but not over our soul. You know what I'm saying. I know this may sound Pollyanna to many of you, And you may be surprised that I am saying it, so affectionately referred to often as Dr. Death. But of course, everything is not splendor and dance. There is plenty of hardship and suffering, mega tons of it, that makes this point. But Lady Wisdom wants us to know that ultimately, Ultimately, suffering will give way to delight, light will dawn in the darkness, and that the arch of history bends toward justice, as Dr. King said. Ultimately, that's wisdom. It was Sister Teresa of Lisieux in her great depth of depression who was also able to say, out of her wisdom, all will be well, all will be well, all manner of things will be well. This does not negate the pain, but only reminds us that it is wise never to give up hope. 
even in the darkest times and places, even in the face of death, guided by lady wisdom, we can still dance. This is what it means when wisdom says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That God is God and will be God and we are not. And that God's will will be done and that God's way will be done in ways that we are not aware of most of the time and in times when we even think that God has abandoned us. Wisdom starts here with our toes tapping to the sound of the kingdom of God even when the only noise we hear is that of wailing and grief. We can dance. Usually when I think of the word wisdom or of someone uh, we call wise, stereotypically it is of an older man, a sage, usually uh, solemn and stern, serious comes to mind, like Benjamin Franklin and all of his wisdom sayings, a penny saved is a penny earned, or Mark Twain who said, it is better to stay silent and let people think you are a fool than to open your mouth and give them proof. But wisdom defies stereotypes. You can be old and not be wise, and you can be wise and not be so old. For instance, here are some wise sayings from some not very old people, like 10-year-old named Billy who holds forth, never trust a dog to watch your food for you. Or Michael 14 who said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid, don't answer him. Or 15-year-old Naomi, who said, if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. Wisdom is not always age-related, although in my case, the older I get, the more wise, because of the experiences and mistakes I hopefully learn from, the details of which I will not bore you. You have your own, I'm sure. Life is a hard teacher, but whatever it is that teaches us through life is wisdom. This passage blows the stereotype of the wise old male to uh, to pieces, insisting that wisdom is not a he but a she personification of a young woman dancing and playing and delighting in God as God delights in her. And it has been suggested by Samuel Terrian, the great Christian Aramaic and Hebrew scholar, the late scholar, that Lady Wisdom is actually the very glue that holds all things together. He calls her the mediatrix and In the masculine form, the mediator, the mediatrix that connects all of the bifurcated pieces of life, that connects the Old and the New Testaments, that connects the Western mind with the Eastern mind, that 
that connects mystery and science, divinity and humanity, God and us. The mediatrix, she, divine wisdom, is that relational peace, the Holy Spirit. It is the energy and the force and the higher power, the light and the spiritual syrup that harmonizes all of the separate voices into a chorus of such incredible joy and beauty. All you can do is dance to it like the chorus at the end of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Yes, a plug for the symphony this weekend. Stereotypically, it is just like a woman, prone to community and relationship of gathering together those around her rather than the competitive, hierarchical, power-based, hunter-gathering man to do this. Wisdom, the mediatrix, the glue that holds all things together, this is what our text gives us. I had a glimpse of this recently when Anita and I watched this amazing documentary on PBS called Particle Fever about the Large Hadron Collider in Geneva and their search for the Higgs boson particle, what they label as the God particle. 4,000 people were involved in this project. It cost billions of dollars to build. It is almost 18 miles in circumference. 500 feet underneath the earth, thousands of electromagnets help speed the hydrogen protons up to 13 times the energy of light, and they watch with, can imagine what kind of sensors, to see when one particle going clockwise and the other particle going counterclockwise finally run into each other and explode into fragments of tiny and tinier particles, hoping to find in that explosion the Higgs boson, which is theoretically the one particle that connects all of the dots, without which nothing theoretically works. Those who believe in the standard model of physics believe that the Higgs boson is there, and in fact the documentary shows that they do find it. After millions and millions of data sample, they finally have a spike enough to claim, yes, that's it. There were two sides on this issue. Those who wanted symmetry, who believed in this sort of supersymmetry thing that every particle in the universe has a partner particle that's heavy enough to keep it grounded versus the multiverse people. There, there are many other universes out there who believe that the standard models of physics no longer work. So you can imagine the incredible tension going on when they are discovering this Higgs boson and trying to figure out what the weight of it is. Because if the weight of it is more than 140 gigama something, it justifies the standard model. But if it is less than 115 something, 
it justifies the multiverse model. So they discover the Higgs boson, and the whole group all over the world is shown standing and cheering and dancing and completely delighted by this experience. And then they begin to look at the data to see what the weight of the particle is, and the Standard physicists are hoping it's going to be 140, and the multiverses are hoping it's going to be 115. And this is the best part. The weight is 125. Right in the middle. Which is exactly like wisdom. That connecting presence of both extremes, that relational presence that holds all things together. Amazing. Even in particle physics, wisdom stands at the door and calls.